Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, Ecclesia, good morning. As I come to you, preaching to you from my living room, the city of Minneapolis and its twin city of St. Paul are both on fire literally and figuratively. And now this fire in response to the heinous murder of George Floyd at the hands of four Minneapolis Police Department members is spreading throughout the country. And in many ways, it feels like our our country with the pandemic that's already raging and now with the, the, the latest succession of events surrounding George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. It just seems like things are coming to a boiling point. And and though this news may shock us, friends, frankly, it doesn't shock members of the black community. These things are just the latest exhibitions of centuries upon centuries of violence inflicted upon the black community by both citizen and state alike. And as we watch the news, we see a bonfire that's calling us to take notice, a burning bush that is not burning up. And so in this moment, as we arrive at this Pentecost Sunday, we want to pay attention. We want to see what God might be doing and how we as the church might be a people who invite God's presence, who live out His beauty and His purposes in the world. And somehow through the strange confluence of God's providence and the the machinations of human evil, this morning is is the day that we celebrate Pentecost. On Pentecost, we remember the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the church, and it seems just as we needed that Easter hope more than ever as the pandemic was just beginning, it seems that we need this Pentecostal word now more than ever. And so we're going to turn over to Acts 2, where we get to see this birthday of the church, this new community, this new humanity brought to life. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, turn over to Acts 2 with me. The text tells us the disciples were praying on the day of Pentecost, a festival day for the Jewish people in the first century. And then it says, suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, I want to focus just on these two profound images here in Acts 2, these images of fire and wind as we try to see how the story of the scriptures are meeting us in the story of our world. You see, friends, that's the incredible thing about the gospel story, the Bible story. It's not just about what happened. It's about what is happening. And so we want to invite God's truth and his beauty to infuse our present time with purpose and meaning and with a map for how we are to respond. Luke describes the divided tongues as of fire. And at first glance, if you think about just that phrase, divided tongues as of fire, it would seem that that image thoroughly describes the American world in 2020. Think about 
Think about the division that is so viscerally and tangibly evident in every level of our societal discourse. There are many facets to this division, but as I look at the situation, as I have conversations where, where I'm trying as best and as humbly as I can to just point out the Jesus and gospel implications of the different challenges that we face, it seems as I look at it that all of these divisions, all of these multi-layered orbits where people can't seem to even have a discourse, much, much less come to an agreement, are, are fed by this poison spring an idolatry of politics. Now perhaps, perhaps you've observed a conversation between somebody on the left, and we'll use air quotes, and somebody on the right, and we'll use the same air quotes, and these people are just talking past each other. They're both spouting off talking points, they're both saying things that they heard on their chosen news platforms or from their chosen political party, and they are not discoursing at all. It's like lobbing grenades. And like the most powerful idols, the idolatry of politics, this poison spring that is feeding this fervor that is in our nation, is not a complete diversion from the gospel message. Rather, it's, it's a subtle distortion. You see, the most insidious sins are often a slight distortion, not a complete and opposite direction, but just a slight twisting of the truth. As Satan says in the garden, did God really say that? And now look at what Peter tells the assembled crowd on the day of Pentecost, later in Acts 2. He says, therefore, in verse 36, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you have crucified. These two titles, Lord and Messiah. To say that Jesus is Lord, the Greek word kyrios, was not simply to suggest that Jesus was God in the flesh. But throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, propaganda would be circulated. They didn't have social media back then. Caesar couldn't take to Twitter and, and, and uh, pronounce his political platform. And so he would send out emissaries. He would send out in, uh, people to carry his message. Cities and towns would respond with inscriptions, placing his propaganda on buildings and on documents. So Caesar was often hailed in this society as Lord and Savior of the Roman world. And so when Peter declares that Jesus is Lord, it is quite likely, according to New Testament scholars such as Scott McKnight, N.T. Wright, Richard Horsley, Richard Bauckham, it's quite likely that the early church proclaimed Jesus as Lord. And when they did that, they were not simply suggesting that Jesus is God, but they were also subtly implicating that Caesar is not Lord, that Jesus is the true Lord. Therefore, Caesar is not. And what this means is that the title reserved for the highest political office in the land in the time of, of Acts 2 was applied to Jesus. It would be like us calling today, it would be like us saying Jesus is president. So Peter, in his sermon, the very first word addressed uh, of communicating the gospel to the wider world, Peter says that they have uh, this crucifixion and resurrection moment has made Jesus both Lord 
and Messiah. And now we turn to the second term, Messiah. The word Messiah, Meshuach, in the Hebrew, Christos in the Greek, means anointed king. It is a phrase that is bound up with the promises that are given to David in the Old Testament, that God would establish for David an eternal throne and a kingdom that would have no end. And Peter, in his Pentecost sermon, picks up on these promises and illustrates to the people how Jesus, who has conquered the world through being crucified, could in fact be the Messiah. Look at it says, beginning in verse 32. This Jesus... God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens. And what these titles applied to Jesus and the imagery of him reigning at the right hand of the Father illustrate is that the gospel is good news. It is good news for our souls. It is good news for our future, but it is not just simply good news for some disembodied part of us. It is good news about a political reality, that which Jesus would call throughout his ministry, throughout his life, the kingdom of God. As Jesus begins proclaiming the gospel in Mark's gospel, he says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. Now, how does this all tie into our modern day idolatry of politics? The scriptures reveal throughout the wider course of the narrative of the scriptures that when we feed idols with our allegiance, with our worship, we give strength to these unseen demonic realities that stand behind these idols. You know, Isaiah, in, in, in Isaiah 40 through 55, describes an idol as just a, a, a thing of stone, like just something that people literally make uh, something, they carve it out of wood or they make it out of stone, and then they proceed to just kind of kick it around the house. But as the, the narrative proceeds, the scriptural, uh, the scriptural narrative bears witness to, to the fact that, yes, though humans constructed an idol, though we make these things like golden calves and these goddess, and, and goddesses of stone, that when we, as those made in God's image, when we give our allegiance and our heart to these things, they take on a force larger than themselves. They become something quite different. Paul will pick up on this theme in Ephesians chapter 6, calling them powers and principalities. And what this is telling us is that we live in a contested world. Jesus is the ascended king. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And as Pentecost remembers, he has poured out his spirit so that we, as the church might be the people who bring his reign, his reign which is current and right now as we remember on Ascension Day, but we bring his reign to bear through the announcement of the gospel of King Jesus. But we live in a contested space. There are spiritual forces at work. Jesus throughout his ministry and his life comes casting out demons. Peter describes the evil one, Satan, as a roaring lion. Paul describes them as cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Our collective idolatry of politics feeds these powers, and they manifest themselves in demonic ways. 
like we see in this instance with George Floyd, like the inherent white supremacy that, that is behind this brutal killing. But it's also, it's not just these eruptions, these moments where we all can look at and say, that's horrible. But it's also the, these demonic powers manifest themselves in the inequity in school systems that exist in neighborhoods that are primarily black and brown. The disproportionate incarceration of black men in America and in our own day, the disproportionate ravaging of COVID-19 on black and brown communities and on the elderly. Leslie Newbigin says of our subtle idolatries, he says the most dark and terrible thing about human nature is our capacity to take the good gifts of God, things like politics, and make them into an instrument to cut ourselves off from God. Our idolatry of politics in our current moment in America has reached a fever pitch to the point where there is no regard for civil disagreement, no working by opposite sides of the aisle towards a common good. And this has begun to bleed itself into every facet of, of American life. Have you had a tough conversation around the dinner table, maybe at Thanksgiving? where politics or the president or uh, maybe the, the latest machinations of Congress comes up and you just want to push back from the table, you want to get away because people have so thoroughly infused their identity with their chosen political perspective. We seem to be a people of divided tongues and these tongues are of fire. We seem to be a people who are using our words and our thoughts and our ideas to lay waste to those that we have deemed on the other side. And black Christians, our sisters and brothers, have been crying out under the weight of oppression in our nation for generations, calling out to those who are supposed to be a part of the body of Christ alongside them, calling out for people to hear and feel their pain, for people to bear witness alongside them. And white people, by and large, throughout the course of our nation's history, have been ignoring their cries, refusing not, not just to hear them, refusing to stand with them. But Paul's metaphor for the church of Christ is just that. It's a body. Friends, we cannot not ignore a wasting infection in one part of our body. And in this sense, the white supremacy that creeps into the church without the infection getting into the bloodstream and ravaging the whole body. And friends, as this moment, Ecclesia, is showing us, there is a sickness. There is a wasting sickness that, that is infecting our nation. There is a wasting sickness that we as the people of God, we as the people of Pentecost, have to hear and respond to. We need the Holy Spirit to empower our language, to, for these divided tongues of fire, not to be weapons of warfare, but to be a means of understanding so that we can hear one another. The image of the divided tongues of fire in Acts 2 is something quite different. You see, fire throughout the Old Testament is an image and a picture of the judgment of God. You think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the archetypes of biblical judgment. They're engulfed with flames from heaven. Jesus, as he's ministering on earth in Luke 12, speaks a particularly puzzling word. When he says in Luke 12, verse 49, he says, I came, I came to bring fire to the earth. 
and how I wish it were already kindled, I have a baptism with which to be baptized. And what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, I have not come to bring peace, but rather division. Now, friends, this sounds nothing like the, the Jesus cuddling a lamb that we so often picture. This sounds like some sort of revolutionary. Jesus has called elsewhere. He's, he's, he's prophesied as the Prince of Peace. So how do we reconcile this picture? Jesus is saying, look, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. And I think as we sort of combine these messages this morning, what Jesus is declaring to us on this Pentecost is that the fire of God, the fire that rests upon the early church, the fire that is still available to us today, must burn away that which is within us that is antithetical to God's rule and His reign. We have to receive this message individually and collectively, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Messiah. And as the people... As the people hear Peter's sermon here in Acts 2, this place where we're pulling this story from today, as they hear this sermon, it says that they are cut to the heart. And they ask, what must we do in verses 36 and 37? And Peter says to them very plainly, repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter urges those listening to him, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And so friends, as we feel this fire today, as we see the literal fires burning on the news, perhaps this is a call, a call to change our way of thinking, a call to reframe our lives in order to declare with our lives, both individually and collectively, as we as a church reflect the beautiful gospel good news that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. We live in the midst of a corrupt generation. The fires on the news are just manifestations of the fires that we cannot see. But what we need most are the fires of the Holy Spirit to burn away anything that would compete for our allegiance to King Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to bring to us anew this news of repentance as good news, this news of confession as good news, that that those who confess their sins, Jesus is faithful and just and able and willing to forgive us. We need to stand alongside those who are part of our body who are saying yet again, how long? How long, O Lord? How long do you bring your justice? How long to your mercy is, is, is manifest in my life? Friends, we have to listen and to hear. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the divided tongues, though that could be a picture of America in 2020, the divided tongues resting on each person in this context, enable us to hear one another. The text says that Parthians, Medes, Elamites, all that were present there, hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. And sure, in our church, for the most part, there's a common language. But Pentecost is calling us to something beyond being able just to hear one another. It's calling us to a deep sense of understanding, of solidarity, 
to acknowledge that when one of us hurts, we all hurt. When there is injustice wrought upon one part of our body, it is injustice wrought upon the very body of Jesus Christ. And we stand and we fight, not with the weapons of the world, but with the weapons that Jesus demonstrated that he has overcome the world with, the weapons of forgiveness and prayer and courage and the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. The fires are burning. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we find that it doesn't burn down indiscriminately. If you've ever been anywhere close to a fire, you've seen the wildfires out on the West Coast or in Australia this past year. It seems like so long ago, right? Fire is indiscriminate. It does not care. Fire at times can leap. But the fire of God doesn't just burn everything in its path. The fire of God doesn't burn without any regard for what's around it. The fire of God, this Holy Spirit Pentecost fire, wants to burn away our petty idolatries, our racism, our allegiances to anything other than King Jesus. And it burns in such a way, and here's the beauty, that the wonders of God are are brought forth through the fire This fire purifies in order to bring something out of the furnace, out of the fire. And as I I close this morning, I want to look at this second image, that of the wind. You see, throughout the scriptures, the wind of God is used as a symbol of the creative power of God. The word for spirit is often associated with the wind. Ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek. In Genesis 1, the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, hovers over the deep with all the potential energy of blessing and of creation. God, in Genesis 2, breathes his very life into Adam. And then it says upon his resurrection at the end of John's gospel that Jesus breathes his spirit into his disciples. And we see this on a grander scale here in Acts 2. Jesus is pouring out his breath, his very life, that which sustains all that is a new creation is breaking forth. Divided tongues of fire that unite, a wind that fills the entire house and spills out into the streets. This is the picture we get in Acts 2. And when you think about how divided our nation is right now as it's literally on fire, and and I think of what a profound sign to the world that we are called to be, a people who have received these tongues of fire that can declare the very mysteries of God, who have had the wind of God blow upon them, a people not united by some sort of banal tolerance, but by the very spirit of the living God that forms us into his body with King Jesus as our head. What a profound sign to the world we must be right now in this divided time that we are all united under King Jesus, that we all express our concern for those that share the table of Jesus together. Friends, this is our call. Ecclesia, this is the kind of church that we are being called to be. We are the people of Jesus. Our first concern is with his kingdom, his people, and his mission. Peter quotes from the prophet Joel to describe the realities of this new life. And and in this uh, text that he quotes from, 
There's this cataclysmic language of one world being brought to an end and a new world being brought to life. Look at what he says. He quotes from Joel chapter 2. Peter says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and all your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on earth, and blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pentecost reminds us that God brings his fire of judgment, purification that brings something new to bear. He doesn't burn indiscriminately, but he's bringing out something from the furnace God brings his wind of new creation. He blows his breath yet again so that we might live as the new creation family of God. And the question for us in a world that seems like it's burning as we come to this Pentecost morning ecclesia is will we allow these tongues of fire, this wind of God to rest upon us? The world needs us to receive these tongues of fire so that we might be living altars where the fire of God meets with the longing of humanity with fresh wind and fresh fire more than ever. And friends, it's not lost on me that George Floyd had the wind of God mercilessly stolen from his very lungs. But it wasn't just simply by one rogue police officer. Yes, that man should be arrested, and, uh, and I hope by the time that we have gathered for our Sunday morning that, that some mark of justice has been done, that those others that were with him have been brought to justice. But Paul instructs us in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Look, your enemies are not flesh and blood. Not this one man who you've seen in the picture so callously taking George Floyd's life. Yes, he needs to be brought to justice, but he is not our enemy. Jesus shows us that if, if he is our enemy, we're to pray for him. But the enemy is the power and principality that is behind this latest turn of the news cycle, the demonic force of evil that perpetuates this dehumanizing system upon black people in our country. Paul in Colossians 2 tells us that on the cross, Jesus disarmed these powers. He undid their strength. He has robbed them of their vitality. The message of Pentecost is that Jesus has taken up his rightful place at the right hand of the Father and he has poured out his spirit to create a new family from every ethnic cultural, societal, socioeconomic background in order to live out this victory. That as Jesus has nailed the powers of white supremacy, the powers that, that stand behind consumerism, the powers that would, would cause us to dehumanize others and to dehumanize ourselves, as he has disarmed them on the cross, he is forming a new people to live out this victory. And friends, collectively, we are called to live as the new family of God, dismantling for our moment and our time this idol of white supremacy, not as some kind of political project. 
And that's the hard thing with this language. It's been co-opted by one side of this political divide. But this is our very proclamation as people of the cross, that he has forgiven us all of our sins, that he has overcome the world, that injustice does not get the last word, and that the kingdom of God is coming, is coming on earth as in heaven. And we say, come Lord. Come, Lord, come breathe your wind. Come, come bring your fire. As Willie James Jennings says in his commentary on Acts, he invites us to behold this opportunity that is before us. He says the same spirit, the same spirit that was there from the beginning, hovering, brooding in the joy of creation of the universe and of each one of us, who knows us together and separately in our most intimate places, has announced. He's announced the divine intention through the Son to reach into our lives and make each life a sight of speaking glory. But this, this will require bodies that reach across massive and real boundaries, cultural, religious, and ethnic. Ecclesia, the fires are burning. The winds are blowing. The grace of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit comes. And as we cry out for justice, as we cry out, come Lord, as we cry out, how long? The Holy Spirit comes to us anew to make all things new, comes to give us life and courage, comes to help us bear one another's burdens, to listen to each other, comes to give us tongues of fire so that we can actually speak to the powers that be, so that we can actually hear when people are crying out under the weight of oppression. And we invite His presence this morning. Lord, come rest on us. Come Holy Spirit. Come bring your wind, bring your fire, come make us new. Make a new day for us as your people. We are the people of Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Messiah. Come Holy Spirit. May we reflect the beauty of your kingdom. May we stand against injustice. May we bear one another's burdens. Come Holy Spirit. Make us the church that you dreamed we could be. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.